Welcome to this episode of Hashtag Rescue Me Podcast. I have with me life strategist, life coach, relationship strategist, Mrs. Michelle Joyner. How are you? I'm doing so amazing, Don. How are you? I am great. It is a pleasure to have you here with me, to have someone here who does what I do. I am so scared. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you scared? Because maybe you are going to pull my own skeletons out of my closet when I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) So you and I have had the best behind the scene conversation. I feel like I have a new bestie in life. But I am so excited that you are willing to open yourself up and survive this conversation with me for my survivors. This episode, we will be surviving life with bipolar. So thank you for being willing to expose yourself to my listeners. Do you want to tell them a little bit more about yourself before we delve in? Sure. I, like you said, I am a life coach, certified life coach, and I help women who want to get married and feel sexy and wanted while they're doing it. So before we kind of talk about your story, tell them a little bit about how you decided that you wanted to definitely help just women who did not feel like they were worthy enough to get married. I mean, that's kind of a narrow lane to kind of just, you know, life strategize with women on. Well, I was a good Christian girl. I went to church. I played the piano in church. I sang in church. I studied my Bible verses, but I just spun my wheels for years and years and years as a single woman, and I wanted desperately to get married. It seemed like it was so easy for everybody else, but so hard for me. And at the time, I was looking for help. I was looking for answers, and I just couldn't find any. So when I finally got a dating coach, and I finally got some answers to feeling in not confident to not knowing how to talk to guys, to not knowing how to inspire attraction. Once she kind of taught me so many things that I didn't know, and I began to get results in that area of my life, it just kind of like stuck in my head. Like I want to help other women, you know, because that was my pain point. I wanted help. So now I'm helping other people in the same way I wanted help. So how long have you been a life coach? I actually just started this year. 
why choose to be a life coach and not just a mentor? I mean, I think it's phenomenal that you wanted to take it to the next level, but you could have just been a mentor. Well, Don, like one of the amazing things about being a life coach is that you enter into a relationship with your life coach where you're trying to get results. So it's not really the same as having a conversation or talking to a friend or being a sister in Christ. And the reason why I picked life coaching was because of the way it helped me. More than any other relationship that I had, more than any other mentoring, the life coaches were using specific tools to kind of like redirect my brain. And that was where I saw the most results in my life. So I guess my thought was, if I have gotten the most help and the most results in my life from life coaching, then that is what I want to offer to other people because that's where I saw the biggest change in my life with life coaching. Perfect. Okay. So let's go back a little bit. Surrounding life with bipolar. Let's go back to high school. How was Mm -hmm. life in high school? Um, Did bipolar affect you at all in high school years? And if not, when did it actually become a trigger for you or Mm -hmm. an interference in your life? Okay. Well, I was homeschooled, and so I led a very quiet, simple life, and I studied on my own. I taught myself algebra. (laughs) I played the piano four hours a day. It was just a very simple, you know, self-directed, well, you know, my parents directed my studies, and I cranked out my studies day by day, and I went to church and played the piano and sang, and just led, you know, a normal, simple life as a high schooler. I had a brother and a sister. We hung out together during the days because they were homeschooled too. And then at one point, my parents moved to a new town and my brother and sister went to high school and in a new town and I went to college. I started off at a community college and it was really great for me because it was the first time I had been in, in like a school environment with other people. And I I did great. I got straight A's and people encouraged me to go into engineering and it was this brand new thing for me and everything was going amazing. At least that's what I thought. I thought I was like, I thought I could just have these endless possibilities. And then I transferred to a four-year college. I transferred to Johns Hopkins in Maryland and something went wrong. My first finals week, I was studying for a test with a classmate. And that night we stayed up the whole night just studying. And for the next 10 days, I didn't sleep. And I didn't know what was going on because at this point, you know, those 10 days of no sleep after the one night where I was just studying, I started to kind of like have cognitive problems where I couldn't concentrate. I was kind of hallucinating, thinking things that weren't there. I was super confused and I just, just, it was just off. So my parents got me actually right into a psychiatric unit and they were like, what's going on with our daughter? And I told them some of the things that had been happening that my mind was racing and I couldn't, I couldn't shut my brain off and I couldn't sleep. And they said, you have bipolar, you're going through a manic bipolar episode. And they told me that, that this was something I was going to have for the rest of my life. And that was when my life changed because I was like, what is going on? When is this going to happen again? How much is this going to change my life? And at that moment, 
I was just scared. Had anyone else in your family ever been diagnosed with bipolar? And no. do you have siblings? I do. I have a brother and a sister, but they were younger than me. And at the time I was like, I think it was about, let's see, it was 2020. So I, I would have been 19. No, you mean 20. I'm sorry. It was year 2000. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it was year 2000. So I would have been 19 and my brother and sister were like 17 and 16. So it's 20, the year 2000, you go to the prestigious John Hopkins University. What, what is your major? I was in mechanical engineering. Okay. And you find out at 19 that you have bipolar. Now there are different varying levels of bipolar. Help the survivors understand because we've heard that term, right? And no disrespect, you hear bipolar, you think psycho, right? Help the survivors understand what form of bipolar you have and how did you understand what it was at 19, right? Because I'm sure at 19, you had never heard of that term before. I had actually surprisingly, Dawn, this is, this is going to be like super amazing to say this. My mother was working at the National Alliance for the Mentally Ill at the time. So I was okay. hearing about schizophrenia. I was hearing about OCD. I was hearing about clinical depression. I was hearing about bipolar. And all I saw, Dawn, was torment. I saw incredible right. pain. I saw lives that just, it, it, it wasn't, I was scared because I was like, mm -hmm. is that what's going to happen to me? I saw homelessness. I saw divorce. Yes. I saw inability to, to have children. And at the time when I was first diagnosed, I thought, you know, my life had endless possibilities. I thought I was going to get a PhD. I thought I was going to become this great engineer. I was doing great in school. And then it just kind of all came crashing down on me that, that my world was just going to change at, from that point on, because all I knew was that this was a lifelong illness that you were going to be facing and taking medication and dealing with, and it was never going to end. So once you found out, like, let's say it was a Tuesday, did you go back to school the next day? Did you take time off? Like, what was life like for Michelle the next day? Well, we tried to take medication and then the fog settled on me. So the way mm -hmm. bipolar works is that, and especially my bipolar and what I discovered over the years was that what I dealt with the most was mania. And the mania is largely things like racing thoughts, thoughts that don't shut off, thoughts that are incoherent. So can you imagine trying to take like calculus tests when your brain is just racing and you can't concentrate and nothing is making sense? And, you know, I was having just crazy, crazy, crazy distortions and so I was confused all the time. So what happened was in the end, I took incompletes that year. So I took incompletes and I was told, take this medication and the episode will pass. Well, it passed, but it didn't pass until months later. So, so you went back to school. Do you tell your teachers? Do you tell your best friends? Like, do you tell anyone that, Hey, I'm 19, but I'm not normal. Like, mm -hmm. how do you explain that to your to your dorm mate. Right. Well, I was living at home, so I didn't have a dorm mate, but mm -hmm. 
-hmm. you know, my parents actually encouraged me not to tell a whole lot of people. They, mm -hmm. they told me they're not going to understand they're they're going to treat you differently. So what we, we told our, we told the, we told the engineering counseling department that this was happening and they communicated with the teachers and said, give her incompletes. She's not medically able to take her classes and finish the finals. So give her incompletes. And honestly done, that was probably what saved me because mm -hmm. if I hadn't had gotten those accommodations, I would have just failed, failed out of school. Mm -hmm. So do you feel better knowing, hey, I'm not psychotic, I have a medical condition. So does that give you a place of solace and peace? Or do you become more angry that why can't I just be the normal 19 year old where I can drink and party and be like everyone else? Like which side of the spectrum do you fall on? Well, for me, what was hardest, and I think what a lot of people will tell you with mental illness is that you're not just struggling with the illness you're also struggling with the side effects of the medication. Mm -hmm. So the medications do make you very foggy. As I said, they, it's like this, uh, this cloud settles over your brain that you have to fight through. You're always tired. You're always sleepy. And for me, one of the medications that I was taking, um, it was making, it totally changed my appetite where I was hungry all the time and craving carbs. So I very quickly, I would say within a month or two months, I had gained 60 pounds. So as a, as a 19 year old, just starting at a new college, packing on 60 pounds, my heart was broken. I couldn't function. I couldn't take the test. And these medications that were supposed to help me made me gain a ton of weight. And I couldn't, I couldn't even focus anymore because of this foggy brain. So I think I was at the time just confused. I was like, I, I, I was thinking, why? Like, why did this have to happen to me? And my dad said something that kind of got me through and my mom said it too, it's not always going to be this way. Mm -hmm. And they just kept saying that it's not always going to be this way. And I kind of just clung so, to that. So outside of that, do your parents treat you like you're nine or do they continue to treat you like you're just the oldest child Michelle? Because a lot of times you hear parents that go into the, oh my God, this is my baby. I need to protect them. And then you have the other parents that's like, okay, I'm going to treat her like she's normal and there's nothing wrong with her. Like which side of the spectrum did your parents fall on and your siblings? Like, you know, kind of how did that work, the dynamics in your home? That's such a good question, Don. <laughs> Well, my parents are Jamaican and are you, are you Caribbean? I don't know. Are you no. Caribbean? No, you're not. Okay. Do you know Caribbean? People? I don't. I don't. Okay. Let me tell you something about Caribbean. <laughs> you're a child like till the day you die. <laughs> you are, you know, you listen to mom, you listen to dad, you listen to your aunties, you listen to your uncles, you just do what they say. And when I got diagnosed with bipolar, that came crashing down on me. And 
like that was just one of the things that I decided to accept that just do what mom and dad say. And I, I kind of honestly done, I sort of lost my, um, I lost my ticket to adulthood. You know, I had mm -hmm. started college and I was starting to be independent. I was starting to break out of a homeschool, you know, stay at home, be cloistered mentality. But then when the bipolar came, that just ended and it just became, mm -hmm. we need to take care of Michelle. And I, you know, I, I just, I, I was kind of stuck in childhood mode for quite a while. So let's move forward. You eventually graduated from college, correct? Mm -hmm. So you're able to at some point, I mean, weave in and out. I'm assuming that it was not without more, you know, issues and, mm -hmm. you know, conditions. Let's talk about your friendships and your love life. Let's, you know, how was life with bipolar with friendships and love life? It was pretty non-existent because on the one hand, I was hiding from people that I had this mental illness. And on the other hand, my weight kept going up. And as I would, I would gain weight and then I would gain more weight and then I would gain more weight and I would just become inside smaller and smaller and smaller. And I just shrank. And so I, I pulled away from any kind of interaction with people that could be my friends. I didn't open up to people. There was this huge big secret that I was hiding that I, I was this broken person and I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do what other people could do. And, you know, my parents wanted me to stay close to home. And so I really didn't make friendships. And then the friendships that I did make, Every time I would have an episode, they would be like, wow, you're kind of weird. You're acting weird. Or like, I can't believe you canceled on me, you know, or I can't believe you didn't show up when you said you were going to show up. And I'm like, I was home having a manic episode. And they just, it just kind of didn't mean anything to them. So I would try to make friendships and then I would have an episode and the friendships would just dissolve. And then in terms of guys, I was so insecure about my weight that I really, I just didn't even try. I just didn't even try. And for many, many years, I actually didn't even meet any new guys. Did you ever feel like people were using you? What do you mean? Like, did you ever feel like people would say that they were your friend just to get something out of it from you? Or did you ever feel like men were using you? You know, just because, you know, a lot of times you'll hear women that are of a certain weight, you know, they, they are giving more in a relationship because they just want someone in their life. And there are men who actually will just date a woman because he know that she has low self-esteem for whatever reason it is, mm -hmm. whether it's her weight or because she has a condition and she knows that he's using her for that reason. But mm -hmm. because she has an insecurity, she holds onto him anyway. Or did you ever find yourself in like that pit that that was occurring to you? Well, what actually happened for me is after I struggled my way through college and the incompletes and the taking finals late and just struggling my way through the, the fog of college, I went into my engineering career and I just hid away. I didn't date. I didn't date anyone. I didn't meet any guys. Like, and how can you not meet guys when you're an engineer? How is that even possible? 
but somehow I managed to do it. <laughs> I went into the office, I sat in my chair, I went home. I went into the office, I sat in my chair, I went home. And I struggled through just showing up at work and I was still fighting my illness. So I didn't have enough energy to date. And I honestly, I would say, I would say my parents sort of held me back a little bit there too, because they really didn't encourage me to date. You know, they, they said, oh, God will send you a husband. One day you'll, you'll meet your husband and, you know, a fruit will drop and it will, you know, fall, roll to your feet and he'll pick it up and it will just magically be him. But they didn't encourage me to meet new people and meet new guys. They, they sort of kept me, even after I graduated, I was still living at home and I was still with them. And it was just like, let's just protect Michelle. So I really wasn't dating. I, ne I never had the opportunity for guys to use me or not use me because I didn't put myself out there. So let's talk about your condition. Have you been able to be part of any clinical trials or have you been able to grow outside of your condition? And what I mean is, as you've gotten older, has your condition been able to lessen any? Has there been any type of, I guess, scientific breakthrough in your condition over the last 20 years? Yeah, so what, what started to happen for me was, first of all, I decided to get a hold of my weight. I decided that like this, this problem where at this point I was like, a, I would say probably 260 pounds. So I was 260 pounds. And now people are starting to get concerned, like, is she going to develop diabetes or, you know, is she going to struggle and some other metabolic syndrome? And so I got a hold of my weight and I started watching what I ate and the sugar consumption went down and the carbs consumption went down, vegetables went up, water went up. And I just, and I was exercising more and all of a sudden Don, like it was almost as though I got a brand new lease on life. It was almost as though I began to wake up. And somehow maybe it was the endorphins and also a bit the better nutrition and some of the inflammation that was going down, even in my brain, you know, like sugar brains that was starting to go away. So that was probably the most pivotal turn in my life. And also at the same time, and this happened, like I would say probably in my early thirties. And also at this time, we really got a hold of the medication and we said, this is the medication that works. We started using Zyprexa. Zyprexa is an antipsychotic. And at, at first we were only using it during my manic episodes, but we decided to just stay on Zyprexa as a maintenance drug. And all of a sudden the episodes started dying down. So instead of having an episode every single year, I would go for a couple of years at a time without episodes. And because I was on the Zyprexa all along, even when I had the episode, it was just shorter. So it, it would just, my life all of a sudden expanded because the bipolar finally gave me a break and I was finally just feeling healthier and more alert. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, that was when I exploded. I was like, 
and I was in my 30s and I, I was starting to travel more. I was traveling on my own. I would fly to California for a weekend and hang out with people that I met. I started going dancing and swing dancing at conferences. And, and then like, I moved away. I moved away to Michigan. My family was in Maryland. I moved to Michigan. I bought a house and it was just like my life just opened. And that was when I got a dating coach. And she was like, Michelle, you are a high value woman. And all of the thoughts that I had about myself began to change. So that was, that was like my awakening. It was a little late, but it finally happened. So I want to talk about this dating coach, because to me, sure. that was this pivot in your life. And that mm -hmm. is going to take us from, I guess that was like the Phoenix in your life. So let's mm -hmm. start there. Let's tell the survivors about when Michelle started surviving Michelle's life. So yeah. let's go there. Well, you know, I think I honestly had never, I know I'm a Christian and I believe that we are created fearfully and wonderfully and that God's love for us is so intense you know, he sent his son to die for us. And I believed all those things, but I really didn't believe that I was, and that I was desirable. I just didn't believe that. I just didn't believe I was desirable. I mean, like I, I, I wasn't really accepted in college, it seemed. And I, I was too afraid to meet anyone else after that. And it just kind of seemed like I, I was meant to be alone. That's kind of what it seemed like. It just seemed like I just, there was something about me that other people didn't want to be around. That's just what I assumed. But then when I found the dating coach, she was like, she kind of just like chipped away at those beliefs. And she started talking about not allowing guys to treat me a certain way. So like, I, I felt like guys kind of just like ignored me and disrespected me. She was like, no, no, that's, that's not allowed or they just dismissed me like I wasn't an option. And she was like, hold up, you are like the total package. Like you're bringing to them a high value woman who's overcome obstacles and challenges and who's kind and beautiful. And you just haven't found the guys that are smart enough to recognize it. And she just started building my confidence. And then this whole weight thing, she was like, why do you think you can't be beautiful at your size. And she just, it just was like a, what, you know? And I started looking at myself as beautiful, even though I was larger. And as I started accepting my body and loving my body, it started to get smaller. So as I loved myself, I started making different choices. And instead of drowning myself in sugar, I just started making different choices. So like everything changed for me. I not only began to know my value, and this is what I tell my clients, I started to expand my value. So as I grew in my knowledge that I was a high value woman, I started to become even more valuable. Like I started to do things that made me even more desirable and even more attractive. Even something just as simple as learning that I can talk to guys anywhere I go, that I felt confident enough to know that guys would like talking to me, that they would enjoy talking to me and bringing that confidence to them. It totally changed how they reacted to me. 
So in the process of that, you met your husband. So talk about that a little bit. And especially with the fact that your husband is a different race from you. So I think that's really important because with you being an African-American woman and your husband being um, Caucasian, um, that's important because I think you talked a little bit about you never thought that you would marry outside of your race. So speak a little bit about that and how your husband makes you feel, you know, beautiful and sexy and with you being um, overweight. And regardless of that, he sees Michelle for Michelle. Yeah. Well, I think he, what, what was amazing is that with my life coach, well, she's a dating and life coach. I really began to see myself as sexy. I began to present as sexy and desirable. Something changed in me where I, my online dating profiles were flirty and cute and like they evoked the senses and like he could see me. And I, I was like, yeah, I, I go to, go to work and I wear sexy cowboy boots to work. And like guys would write me and be like, oh, I'd like to see those sexy cowboy boots. So I started just getting all this attention from guys. And when I met my husband, like I had a lineup of guys who were like, well, can I just keep talking to you? So when I met him, I didn't come into it like thinking like, you know, I'm nothing and I need a guy to build me up. I came into it thinking like, I have a lot to offer. I am high value. And when I came to him, that was one of the things that he felt he could respond to because, because I had happiness and confidence in myself. He didn't have to like fill anything because I was already so full of just self-love and for him he said that it, it just felt like because I was confident in myself he could be confident in himself and also I had space to just love on him and build him up and lift him up and he said that he had never felt more like a man until he met me so as he's feeling like a man, like he told me one day, he's like, I feel like I could just snap a tree in half. And that was how I made him feel. So because he was feeling that way, he felt he was strong enough to feed into me. So neither of us are coming into this insecure. Both of us are coming in like feeling powerful and confident and, and assured. Neither of us are feeling like we have to be needy or or worry that the other person doesn't like us. You know, we both felt just super secure because I think I, I came into it just feeling assured of who I was. So I could assure him of who he was, but he could keep assuring me of who I was. And it was just like this feedback loop of, we both are assured of who we are as individuals. You know what I mean? At what point did you tell him about your health condition and what was his response to that? Well, so <laughs> at some point, uh, I don't know how, but I, I think it was just because I realized that I wasn't broken. You know, I didn't see my bipolar as a, uh, as a curse anymore because I had begun to see that it was something that I had overcome 
And I finally just accepted it. I was like, this is something that has made me stronger. So when I told him about it, I really didn't present it to him as like a weakness. I basically was like, I've had bipolar for, let's see, when I met him, 15 years. I had had bipolar for 15 years. And I was like, I'm a survivor. I've overcome. I am not going to let this hold me back. But I will say he had bipolar as well. So it was a lot easier for me to tell him that I had bipolar because I knew that he understood what it was because he had it as well. And it was really the fact that we both have bipolar was just a place for us to meet with compassion and understanding. We didn't talk at all about your condition and how it affects you with the potential of having children. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I know that you do, you don't have children. Um, you guys are now married. Let's talk about that a little bit. Does sure. it affect you guys with the possibility of having a family one day? Yes, it does. Um, we are trying to have kids now and I'll tell you this, Dawn, um, the medication and the illness, uh, have affected it because, um, there are times like I, I had an episode, I don't know if you know this, but during COVID, I actually had an episode. I had a manic episode during COVID and I just had sleepless nights. I had racing thoughts. I couldn't concentrate. I had to take time off of work. And I, because of the insomnia, I went on this one medication that all the doctors were like, you cannot get pregnant on this drug. And the drug causes birth defects, it affects the baby, it can harm the baby. And so they told me, you can't, you, you've got to use contraception and stuff like that. So as you know, right now, I'm 39. And well, at the time, I guess during, during COVID, I was 38. And I was like, I've got to get pregnant. I feel like, well, not now, not on this medication. So as we have been trying, there have been these uh, roadblocks where we're trying and then we have to stop and then we're trying and we have to stop. And um, so the bipolar does get in the way of that. And then also too, just the, just the fear, you know, just the fear that, um, you know, we have to be careful about my mental health while I'm pregnant. So I just, I just kind of am afraid that like, I won't be able to function. And um, so just, you know, there are some fears that the illness could kind of like rear its head during the pregnancy. I'm afraid that like when we do have a kid and the sleepless nights, that could have, that can trigger episodes. I'm a little bit afraid of that. So I would say it's, it's a, it's definitely a concern for us. And um it's just something that we've had to kind of like leave in the Lord's hands because we don't know, we don't know the answers to those questions. So how often do you go to the doctor? I mean, have you guys been to the doctor as a couple to talk about um, your child being affected by bipolar? Um, are there any birth defects outside of just mentally your child having bipolar? Well, so typically the onset for bipolar doesn't, doesn't really happen in infanthood. Um, so there's, it is a genetic illness, but, and with Caleb having bipolar, there is a strong likelihood that he would have our, our child 
could have mental illness just because it, it runs in the family. And, um, so your so, husband is bipolar also. Yes. Okay. So, so it is very possible that your, that your child will have, will be bipolar. Yes. And is we it, talk about that a lot and how we want to help like train the kid so that they understand and so that they're able to cope with it even better than we did. So I'm very big on statistics. Statistically, it states that your child will have bipolar by the age mm -hmm. of 14. That's when most children are diagnosed between the age of 14 and 18, which you were diagnosed at the age of 19, or that's when you found out that you were bipolar. Now, is it, what is the, or do you know if, if you have multiple children, what the statistics are that more than one of your children will be diagnosed with bipolar? Do you well, guys know that? Yeah, because it's a genetic illness, mm -hmm. the likelihood is very high that, that our, our children will have a mental illness and it, it doesn't even have to be bipolar it could be could be depression it could be an anxiety disorder but yes they our children will be pre pre uh predisposed to to develop it and it's not like i said it's not in childhood it's not like they're going to be born and we'll know they have it but right. the risk will be there so we're this is going to be something that we would be educating them from when they're from when they're young you know mm -hmm. and looking out for now, did you also know that a child's or not a child, a person's life is reducted when they have bipolar by 10 to 20 years? Were you aware of that? Um, I don't think I knew that statistic exactly. Mm -hmm. And that is crazy that someone's life is shortened due to bipolar. It's also reducted by 24 years for schizophrenia. And that the increase of alcohol and drug abuse is doubled to, um, by some for someone that has schizophrenia or bipolar. Yeah. So that's a understanding real that. Yeah, understanding that. Have you guys had the conversations of not having children because of that? Have y'all considered that? Uh, well, I think the reason. Well, one of the things I want to speak to is the 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 prevalence of, of drug and alcohol use mm -hmm. and Caleb and I both avoid alcohol for that mm -hmm. reason, mm -hmm. just because it is, it is so destructive for people with bipolar and schizophrenia. So we avoid it just not because we can't have it, but just because why expose yourself to that. And I think that for me, um, I've just looked at my own life and seen how I've been able to still live a life that kind of overcame the mental illness and still be successful, you know, still graduate from Johns Hopkins, still work at really great, great engineering schools and now becoming a life coach. And I just look at my life. I look at Caleb's life and how he, he has a degree in physics and, you know, he's working in IT and he, you know, he's this incredible man. And I just look at our lives and how we've overcome that it, it doesn't make me fear to have a child because I know that even though you have this illness, it doesn't have to define you and it doesn't have to be a life sentence. As long as you have proper education and you're, you're treating it well, you can still live a good life. And that is exactly why I wanted to have you on this show because I think that's absolutely phenomenal and that you guys are surviving bipolar. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, 
I love that you are a life coach and I love that you are coaching women who want to feel sexy and wonderful. Do you do any work with people who have your condition? Yeah, I do. I do coach women who have, see, when you have a mental illness, everything in your life just becomes more complicated. So you're trying to always preserve your mental health and dating can be really stressful. So my clients are coming to me and they're like, Michelle, how do I stay sane and try to find a husband? And I help and I coach them on that. And then the other question that they have to me is, do I want to be with someone who has mental illness? That's a big question that I get. And my answer to them is always with care. Because if you're with someone that is not treating their mental illness and that is letting the mental illness, basically, you can see it destroy people's lives. You can watch mental illness destroy people's lives. And for that, I would, I would counsel them that until they decide to take care of themselves, um, they, until the other person decides to take care of themselves, they're really not ready for a relationship. So I would just counsel them to allow the person to take care of their mental illness on their own and not try to, not try to fix them, not try to hope that they'll get better. If you see that a person has an, a basically untreated mental illness, it's, it's not the safest person to be with. But if the person is taking care of themselves, has overcome the illness, has treated the illness, and is living a normal life, a, a, a safe life, then there's no reason to be afraid to be with them. Michelle, understanding that there are four types of bipolar, do you and your husband have the same type of bipolar? No, we do not. Understanding that you don't have the same type, do you know how to treat and support each, each other's type of bipolar symptoms? Yeah, that's something we've been working on ever since we were dating. I had a few episodes while we were dating and Caleb was just kind of shocked because he wasn't used to my type of symptoms. You know, he has bipolar, but he more struggles from depression. I have bipolar, but I more struggle from mania. So he was kind of confused when I was kind of presenting to him this sort of frenetic, uh, um, just someone who kind of like just had all these crazy big expectations and all these crazy big plans and kind of all of these, you know, illogical uh, jumps and leaps. And, you know, I just, it's like, I just kind of like turned into someone that he didn't know. And at the time he was really scared. And because we weren't married, and at the time we were long distance dating, so I was in Michigan and he was in Oregon, um, you know, I really, for that, I would say I had to kind of like take care of myself. I had to get with my psychiatrist, figure things out, get better, and then just let him know, you know, I'm not always like this. This is the way I become when I'm during a manic episode, but this isn't, this isn't things or expectations or plans that I, I really think are logical. These are just, this is just what my manic brain was presenting to me at the time. And so he realized that, oh, sometimes Michelle is going to become manic. 
And while we're dating, he had to ask himself if that was something he could handle. You know what I mean? So it kind of like was something that we both had to judge and see like, is this something that I can handle and that I can still live my life with? And um, for him, what I discovered with, with him is he has a strong desire to just be alone and to have space and to um, also to keep his life very simple. And for me, I had to decide, is that something that I can handle? You know, that my husband is going to need time alone sometimes, that he's not going to, you know, be this crazy ambitious and like, you know, you know, like storming up the corporate ladder husband, you know, because he told me, one of the things he told me was, I lead a very simple life so that I don't get sick. And I had to ask myself, is the simple life what I want? And so, yeah, we both had to kind of look at each other and see like, is this something that we want in our lives? And is this something that we can handle in our lives? So yeah, even when we were dating, we saw that we both dealt with the illness differently and we had to ask ourselves those hard questions. But um, we just really loved each other. We really wanted to be together. And um, so we, we talked to doctors, we talked to our parents, we talked to our pastors and they were like, these are the ways that couples make it work, you know? So we got help. And then right after we got married, we were seeing a counselor. We saw a counselor for a whole year right after we were married. And we were like still in the honeymoon phase, but we didn't care. We were like, we're going to make this marriage solid. So we met with a counselor like every week and just learned how to communicate, learned how to hold space for each other, learned how to make decisions. And then we were in the office with my psychiatrist and she, she gave us ideas like this is what you should do when Michelle does this. And um, this is how you can support her. And yeah, so we, we had to learn, Don. We had to learn. I'm so happy that you said that because I was going to say, um, I think you and I spoke about me being in school to finish my second master's to be a family and marriage therapist. And just, I want to say normal couples but there's no such thing as a normal couple because mm -hmm. <laughs> we all have our baggage but let me put it this way just abnormal couples with no health conditions need to be in in therapy right on a normal basis you guys are an abnormal couple with a known health condition mm -hmm. your your statement was my husband likes to keep his life normal and as quiet and simple as possible Mm -hmm. children are the worst antidote for that so I you know I I immediately like wanted to cringe when you said that because children will do the complete opposite of that so as your newfound friend I would say definitely the year before you guys have kids you may want to get in counseling and figure out what that what life is going to look like for Caleb because that's going to drive him crazy because that baby's <laughs> going to cry constantly and it's going to be bottles and milk and diapers everywhere and he's not going to know how to handle that michelle the average person doesn't know how to handle that right and so i would i would definitely caution you guys to get in therapy just to talk about that yeah. you know what i'm saying because that's gonna be crazy for him right and so for someone who likes their life to be consistent and stable that baby's gonna definitely drive him crazy and that's just just a baby 
being a yeah. baby. So I don't, I know this, did you, have you guys discussed that and what life would look like for him? Well, for Caleb, I think, um, I think when, when he talked about keeping life simple, I, I often wonder what he's talking about. I think it, when he was in college and getting his physics degree, that was when life was the hardest for him because he was working and he was getting his physics degree and that was just very demanding. But then in terms of Caleb, one of the things that he really needs and longs for is family. And he's lived, he lived with his sister when she had her baby and then she had another baby. And that was when Caleb realized that he wanted more than anything to be a dad. So I think, and also he, he basically helped raise his, his little niece, his two little nieces. So I think he kind of has a, even more of a glimpse into what baby life is like, even more than me. But um, I will say that since meeting me, Caleb's life has expanded. <laughs> Because I do not have a simple life. I'm an engineer. I have a life coach business. I I just got certified. I cook for people. Profess, you know, I I cook for people, and I I sort of like a small cooking business, and I have these big dreams. And so his life has expanded, and uh, <laughs> his life definitely hasn't been simple with me. But yeah, in terms of babies, I love that you said it's a special kind of non-simplicity so that's such good advice don and i really appreciate your saying that i i've been working very closely with my therapist on prep preparation yeah and i think that's good good advice I mean, for even us. for um me and my husband he is very simple very mm -hmm. and since he met me our life has been on the roller coaster that constantly runs off the track i mean we i've derailed his life in every since oh, no. other word and people always ask him how do you live with her like how do you do this and he just does and he never saw me coming now does so, he does he say you derailed his life or is that what you're saying um he'll say it but he says it that he needed it right yeah. because his life would be mundane if it was not for me yeah. so I bring a sense of adventure and and passion and excitement to his life that he's never had but in the same sense I mean you you don't miss what you never had right he didn't even realize that I did it until I came along but he, girl listen <laughs> he was not ready for this fireworks show over here uh -huh. called Don James until yeah. I showed up so I completely understand but then again we, he doesn't have, you know, that bipolar. And I'm saying it in the sense of I completely understand. So before we leave, I wanted to ask you, you talked about family and, and having that family dynamic with his parents and your parents. You're, of course, as a parent, we want what's best for our kiddos and you're, Jamaican family are like Michelle that's my baby and I want mm -hmm. what's best for her and I want to keep her close and oh my god there's this new husband and I want to make sure he's gonna take care of my baby and Caleb's parents are like oh my god this is my baby I want to make sure she's okay mm -hmm. for my for my son how has the 
union of families been for you guys and especially having the bipolar situation added has the blend been very well for you guys for from both sides and have you guys been able to um i guess mesh very well from both sides with the families being supportive of you guys yeah well one of the things that Caleb has brought to me is a kind of like a um, patience, you know, in terms of, you know, Michelle, you don't have to sign up for everything, you know, and just kind of like a, a wisdom and a sort of stability and his love for a simple life. He's kind of encouraged me to slow down a little bit. So my parents see that and they see that he's already begun to start taking care of me and supporting me and helping me in some of the areas that I was weak in. You know, um, one of the things that we didn't talk about was that the bipolar can kind of really create some, uh, some things like reckless spending, reckless decisions. And I got heavily into debt. And when I first met Caleb, not just the bipolar, but also the debt was like really shocking to him. And he, it basically just turned my life around. Don, we are 100% out of debt. Just because he, he was like, Michelle, there's a better way. And when my parents see that, they see this is someone that God sent to take care of my daughter, you know, to do things that maybe they, they couldn't do as my parents. And he was there to do that for me. And, um, so my parents adore him. <laughs> my brother adores him. And, you know, basically before we got married, it was really important to us to have our family's support. You know, we didn't, we didn't want to do anything against our, our, our family's support. So we really got our family's support. And with Caleb's family, I really, you know, he was so close to them and so attached to them. I sort of felt like, am I ever going to be like, you know, scripture talks about leaving and cleaving you know? And, um, I was like, it's, am I going to be just like someone tagging along in his family or am I going to be like his priority? And, you know, I questioned that I questioned my own self-worth. I questioned whether or not I was good enough to be a part of his family, whether or not they would accept me. But, you know, all along, they've always been very kind to me. They all have. They've always been very kind to me. And it's more just been my kind of struggling with my own insecurities where I was able to accept that kindness and feel like I was worth that kindness. So that's been like my main struggle. Like just, again, you know, the same thing that my dating coach told me so many years ago, that I was worthy, that I was desirable, that I, you know, was high value and deserved a relationship. Like I've been to myself those same lessons to, to honor who I am and also honor who they are and get to know them and um, allow them to be who they are without kind of like bringing my own expectations to the mix. So there's always been kindness and support from both sides. And that's been super helpful for us as a couple. And in regards to your weight gain, how are you, what are you guys doing to manage that? Like, is there any type of programs that you've been involved in or any type of weight management mm -hmm. assistance that you've been able to do? Have you started exercising to try to balance that out? Mm -hmm. Well, I've actually lost 60 pounds 
um, since actually since we since we got together, since Caleb and I got together, I lost 60 pounds actually since the wedding. And um, I, I just started working with life coaches again. I found some life coaches that were amazing at weight loss and they coached me to train my brain to allow the urges, allow the urges that the medicine caused to allow the urges that just the fat cells in my body caused, you know, they told me just to learn how to embrace the discomfort of the desire. So a desire would come and before I would just give into it, but through coaching and looking at different ways of, of thinking and different ways of talking to myself, I was able to kind of replace that desire and allow that desire and it just started getting different results. And I started making different actions. So the life coaching really helped me with that. I mean, it, it helped with my dating coaching to change my mindset about myself. And then it helped with my food to change my mindset about food. And um, then the exercise became less frenetic and less, less punishing. It just became a gift to myself to go out for long walks and to go out kayaking and canoeing and walk through the woods and walk by the river. And just kind of like, just enjoy my body. And that's what they taught me. And um, yeah, they are the ones, they're the ones that really, really made a difference in terms of that. Now, does Caleb have the same um, issues with his medication with the weight gain? Or is it just yours because of the type of bipolar that you have? He is one of the skinniest people I know. <laughs> And, you know, he was able to really teach me how to delay gratification in a way, you know, and just uh, be more balanced and be more, um, be more, be more patient about desires, you know? So yeah, he doesn't have a weight problem and now we eat very healthy and we, um, we actually, for a long time, we're following the ketogenic diet and that has been very helpful for us. Yeah. So I'm down 60 pounds and definitely on my way to a healthy body again. That's wonderful. So what did surviving life with bipolar look like for Michelle for the next two to four years? Well, hopefully I can pop out a few kids. Um, and uh, it's going to be kind of like a huge, big uh, leap of faith dealing with that. Because as you said, there's a lot of sleepless nights. That's one thing that's not going to be avoidable. So I know there's going to be sleepless nights and uh, I'm just going to be building my coaching business and helping other women who are trying to get married like I was. I think for me, um, I feel as though I have more than one baby because I have this new coaching business that I want to see flourish and grow. And, um, you know, I, when I help my clients, I just watch them blossom the same way that I did, where they come into it, like scared and thinking that, you know, nobody wants to be with them, that they, they aren't the type of people that people would want to be with. And then they just change, they transform and they see themselves as the beautiful gift that God created them to be. So I want to help more people like that. I want to help more women just step into themselves and know their value. And how does your husband help you do that? Well, let's see. <laughs> how, 
how about daily reminders <laughs> that I'm attractive, daily reminders that I'm wanted, and also daily reminders that I'm enough. He's the first person when I feel like I have a struggle in front of me and I can't figure something out, he's the first person to say, you've got this, you know? He's the first, per he believes in me sometimes way more than I believe in myself. He just, he's like, I have no doubt. He just has no doubt. And that's kind of who I am for, for my, for my clients. You know, my husband looks at me and he's like, wow, those guys used to date. I just don't understand. Like they must've been idiots. And that's who I am for my clients. I'm like, just because things didn't work out in that relationship doesn't mean that you're not lovable. It means that they didn't have a capacity to love, doesn't say anything about you. So what he is for me today, I channel into being that for my clients. Will you ever be able to wing the medication and just live a holistic life? I doubt it. I have found that I do best on medication. My husband does not take medication, but like I said, he more struggled with depression and depression tends to do really well with thought management. Um, mania does not. Mania doesn't respond as effectively with thought management as medication. So because I more struggle with mania, I think I will always have to take medication. One of the things that I want to go to, because I did not get to ask you this, what are, how's Michelle on her worst days? Mm. Like, what are your worst days as a bipolar person? Well, my worst days, I could tell you some stories about my psychotic episodes because I have had psychotic breaks. And so we talked about mania, but the psychosis happens where I completely lose touch of reality. And it really is what it sounds like. I mean, you've heard of psych psychotic people and you know that they, they're basically kind of like lose their sanity. And for me, it only happens, I would say, maybe for a period of maybe 24 hours at the most. But I've had a few psychotic breaks where I, I lose my sanity for 24 hours and I am out of touch with reality. And those are the worst days. Those are the scariest days because I remember so well what I was thinking at the time during those episodes. So as I'm going through psychosis and I'm thinking these weird thoughts, like, I'm just like, I think back on those moments and I, I'm just so confused. Those are the scary days. Those are the days that force me to say, take the medication. It doesn't matter if it causes weight gain. It doesn't matter if it causes fogginess. Like if this medication will keep me from going like as far as those psychotic days take me, then I'll keep taking the medication because I see how I can just lose it. And I don't want that to happen to my future and my family. So I, that's why I stay on the medication because the worst days are psychotic. And have you had those worst days in your marriage or did you have those before your marriage? So you've never gotten off the medication in your marriage because you do not want that to happen. Well, those psychotic days weren't because I was off the medication. I, I actually, sometimes I think the illness gets worse as you age. Sometimes I think that's the reason. But those psychotic days were actually triggered by very stressful events. 
So anytime when I let the stress really get to me, because sometimes I, I feel like, you know, we create stress for ourselves, you know, like we, we take a circumstance and then by how we choose to think about it, we create these feelings that are just even more enormous than the circumstance itself. And I had a few stressful moments and one of them was losing a job. You know, I lost a job and I would say within a couple of days, I, I was psychotic just because of the stress that I put myself under because of that circumstance. And um, it wasn't because I came off medication. It was, it was just triggered by circumstances and my thoughts about the circumstances. So um, let's see, have I had any psychotic days with Caleb? Um, not quite. He's seen me manic. He has. He's seen me manic, but he's never seen me psychotic. Now, I've only known Caleb, I would say, four years. So, you know, I haven't had a psychotic episode in the past four years. I've had a psychotic episode in my marriage, and I'm not even bipolar. Mm. <laughs> wow. I what think anybody gets married can say they've had a psychotic episode in their what marriage. What did your husband do when you were psychotic? What did he say? Was he scared? Girl, he could have lost my keys or something. I don't know. <laughs> Just being married, married can make you have a psychotic episode. Uh-huh. He's trying to be crazy, so... Anything could happen. So I would say, and then what happens, Michelle, when you just get sick? Let's say you just have a cold, a fever. Let's say you were to get COVID. How do just normal everyday illnesses affect your medication? They don't. They don't. They don't. They, there's no crossover. There's no crossover. I, um, I, I do have, you know, flus just like everybody else. I, I get the cold just like everybody else. Um, you know, I, I would say um, the bipolar, like I said, I'm taking Zyprexa, which is a very strong antipsychotic. So most of the time done, the bipolar isn't even an issue. Mm -hmm. It's just every once in a while, an episode will come up and we have to deal with it. So what I would more say is those times when those episodes comes up, those are the hard days. Those are the days when I call my boss and I take off a few weeks of work. And that's hard for her. That's hard for my, my coworkers. And, um, you know, I, what I'm concerned about, what you brought up is what's going to happen when I have an episode with kids? What's going to happen then? And that's why we decided to live super close to Caleb's parents and his sisters because I know we're going to need their support. You know what I mean? And I'm so happy that you said that because once again, I've been in HR for 20 years and have you applied for protection through your HR so that you do have that so that when you do call in, you do not have, that doesn't go against you as a strike because you have, you know, ADA protection because you are bipolar. Yes. All of the companies that I've worked for, have had, um, you know, family medical leave act um, protection, and they've all been very understanding. You know, I work hard and I work well when I'm well, and then when I'm sick, you know, I have just had amazing coworkers and amazing bosses that have just said, "We got you." Mm -hmm. You know, we got you, and my job has never really been 
really jeopardized because of the illness. And it's just, it's just been, um, just the grace of God, really, you know, yeah. that I, that those protections are there. Yeah. But you know, under the law, you do not have to tell them that you have bipolar. You can just apply for the protection and you never have to tell them why you're taking off. Not all of my managers knew that I had bipolar. HR okay. knew. Yeah. HR knew, but mm -hmm. not all of my managers have known. I don't okay. always disclose that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell my, my husband all the time. Um, he works for the federal government and just normal people. I get people all the time, especially because I work in HR. They'll come in and say, oh, I told my boss that I have cancer. You don't have to tell your boss you have mm -hmm. cancer, right? And so people just feel like they need to share. I'm like, that's cute. You don't have to. You know, I'm HR. You can tell me, but you don't have to tell your boss. And people feel like, oh, it's just best to share. You know, it's cute if you have, let's just say you have cancer. But what if you have AIDS? right? You don't, so regardless of what the condition is, you never have to tell. You yeah. could have broken a toe and you don't have to tell. What, so, what concerns me these days is what I'm, what am I going to do with my coaching clients? What's going to happen to my coaching clients if I get sick and I'm not able to coach them? And, you know, mm -hmm. and so for that, I've already kind of started to think of mitigation strategies for that. I would get another coach to fill in for me. You know, right. I would, um, I would have recordings for the, my clients to watch. I would have workshops for them to go back and revisit or workbooks for them to go through, you know, like, cause I don't want to leave my clients in the lurch because I'm sick. And so right. I've already kind of been like thinking about that because it's just a reality. The episodes come every once in a while. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate a thousand percent you being open and honest with my survivors because I think it's very important for people. I mean, there are, the matter of fact, statistics say that there are consistently a minimum of three million people in the United States who are living with bipolar syndrome. There are 1.7 million people who have been diagnosed with schizophrenia. So this isn't a small condition that affects us. Um, I love that you're very open and honest and you have been able to survive it successfully, Michelle. And not only are you surviving it, but you're helping other people survive it. I love that you found someone that you've been able to live love with through Caleb or with Caleb and you guys are looking to bring beautiful babies into the world that you're going to help survive this also. Um, so thank you so much for being willing to come on hashtag rescue me podcast. Hopefully I can partner with you with some of your clients that you will coach um, so that we can help others also. Um, Cause I would love to definitely do that with you. Um, I may not have bipolar booger. I'm sure I got some other things that I can help them survive. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything else that you would love to leave my survivors with when it comes to surviving life with bipolar? Yeah, I would just say, um, I would just say that obstacles are there because you're strong enough to overcome them. That's just, that's just all they are. Because I mean, I think during my toughest days when I, I thought that I couldn't get through, I did like the sun rose again 
And all the obstacle did was show me that I was strong enough to handle it. Mm -hmm. And that like, that kind of blows my mind a little bit that I could almost appreciate the obstacle because at the end of it, I'd be like, dang, look what I got through, you know? And in that way, um, it never has to defeat you, you know? You can get through the toughest day. Absolutely. I remember when I was 12, 13, and I was going through my first test. And I remember I was crying and I was talking to God and I was like, God, why me? Why me? And I tell people, literally clear as day, God said, why not you? Mm -hmm. And how about I've never asked that question again, why me? Mm -hmm. Because I remember I was thinking that I wasn't strong enough. And he told me right in that moment, you're definitely the person for this and you are strong enough. Mm -hmm. And so you are absolutely right. If God brought you to it, he will definitely bring you through it. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you. I think you are beautiful. You have a great spirit. You have the prettiest smile in life. <laughs> and I definitely will would love for my survivors to reach out to you. Can you please tell them where to find you at on social media? Yeah, I'm on social media at Total Package Life Coach. So if you want to go to my website, it's totalpackagelifecoach.com. On Instagram, I'm Total Package Life Coach. On Facebook, I'm Total Package Life Coach. Because what I want my clients to believe more than anything is that they're the total package. And you are definitely currently accepting new clients, correct? Yes, I do private one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I do that because it's the easiest way for me to dive into helping a client and for them to be open and honest. And yeah, so I am accepting new clients for private one-on-one -on -one coaching. And um, all they have to do is shoot me a message. Thank you so much for coming on hashtag rescue me podcast. It's been a pleasure. I've loved meeting you. I look forward to working with you again in the near future. And I hope you have a great week. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks survivors for tuning in for another episode. I hope the topics discussed today were impactful to your personal and or professional development. The tips and tools given are for insight and practical usage. If you need additional resources or assistance, please seek your EAP program through your employer or find a professional therapist in your area. Also, we have additional information about today's show on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Rescue Me Podcast, where your comments, compliments, and show suggestions are always welcome. You can also find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and SoundCloud. I want to say thank you to our sponsors, Gifts of Grace, Holiday Homegirl, Shea McNuckles Tax Prep, and Juice Fruits LLC, where you will receive a 10% discount off products purchased by entering or mentioning discount code RMP10. This show is edited, produced, and published by MBDB podcast productions covering these feelings going through changes I'm just so mad right now i can't even think straight so i'm a judge